<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Happy Friday. What a week it's been. Ooh, the legislative session. I got my story done with the senators. And yes, here we are did. just relaxing on a Friday. I'm hearing accolades. I'm hearing I'm oh, seeing billboards. I'm seeing names up in lights. This is like big time. It this was is... well done. Oh, thank you. I'm yes. happy to have it over with. But really what I'm interested in is that Mara and Greg come in here every week and I'm finding out they have bets amongst themselves where they win <laughs> cool things like massages. And yeah. I haven't been a part of this. And I'm like, well, how know, do I get in on this? We're bringing you in. Well, one of the bets that she, Mara lost, she got she got the easy way out. I don't know how that happened. You set the terms. So I know. Look I don't, in a I don't there, get it. Friend. I don't get how that bet worked against me. I would have yeah, yeah, if you set the rules, you got to do a better job setting the rules if you're disappointed <laughs> yeah. in me. <laughs> yeah, you know what? She's just part. lucky I have a bad memory. I can't remember how I did it, so I have to take her word for it, which, you know, yeah. might not be accurate. You should start yeah. writing yeah. stuff down. Mm-hmm. I feel like I need to write stuff down to keep up with the legislative session this week, and I admittedly was a little distracted this week and wasn't playing full, full bore attention, but I felt like you had to be on your toes to keep up with it because it all came a million miles an hour. So the special session started, and they obviously had a ton of money, billions of dollars to figure out what to do from the federal government. I'm assuming that was allocated. We didn't even talk about it because there were so many other things going on. Were either of you in the room or watching? Was it all allocated properly? So I'm first going to start by saying thanks for starting out with the substantive part of the legislative (laughs) session. It's all substantive. We had a lot of non-substantive stuff, but the allocation, um, I think we have – thoughtful consideration on this. And again, I want to applaud our legislators for thinking of generational projects and also thinking of partnerships and grant agreements. And so I think that they've done a nice job thinking 360. What will be interesting, too, is to remember that this comes in tranches. So we didn't actually spend or allocate the $1.5 billion yet, but we've started to shape out the big projects. I kind of like the pace our legislators are taking us on. So I'm going to start that because I have a lot of criticism of the rest, but I want to start with just the reason we held the special session was in timing with this federal money. Yeah, and Utah's in an interesting place, Greg, because we don't technically need the money. I think there are some business owners who are still struggling and maybe didn't get the money, so there's places that need the money. But overall, as a state, I don't know that we need the money like a lot of other states. So I think it's important that we be thoughtful and careful where this money goes because we do have the money, and if we're going to have it, let's spend it in a smart manner that helps the state, not just now, but in the future. So one of the, the terms that they use in budget speak as lawmakers It's one-time money or ongoing money. Mm -hmm. So imagine like a bonus versus your salary. The legislature was never going to identify uh, that COVID relief dollars that were coming uh, as ongoing. They weren't going to start new programs that would require it to continue on for any amount of time. So when you look at one-time money, what is the best investment of one-time money uh, that would be available to the state of Utah um, that has long-term uh, improvement or impact. Well, if you're a growing state, it's our infrastructure, it's our water, it's our roads. It's, it's, there is an infrastructure need for a state that grows and has such a high population growth. So what they did is they, they, they invested highly in our water. We're in a drought. 
Uh, water's going to always be a challenge in the state of Utah. We're a very dry state. So that was good. That's great news. But they parked a lot of that money because they, they're not sure what federal requirements are going to be attached to all those, all those dollars. So this, the, in the rulemaking process for the feds, they may say you have to match state of Utah X, you know, a certain percentage to what you spend without understanding clearly what uh, that relationship with those dollars, or what that's going to be. They parked, uh, I would, I think they parked most of the money. And so, and so they're going to wait. that understanding? Because I feel like we should have the rules if we have the Don't money. you think yeah. we should? It's, yeah. it's been an often held frustration because you know who else doesn't have the rules are the local municipalities and they don't have as much flexibility. So this is creating a real dilemma for do I jump in and later live with the consequences of, yeah. of having placed public money in, as Greg said, one-time public money. And the, the federal government does not seem in a big hurry to lay down the rules of the road here. And and I will say, I, I completely agree with that Utah doesn't have, if we use the word need, but we do have, as Greg said, infrastructure that is actually um, deferred maintenance on water infrastructure, as you said. Uh, there's, there's a marker down on a statewide plan that shows $38 billion is needed in water infrastructure. What? So, so while, while our services aren't corroding the way yeah. some states are for sure, to say that we don't have essential projects that could be smartly using taxpayer money and that it wouldn't be superfluous but rather fundamental to our health and wellness, I do think the state has those needs. I hope some of that money went to Bangor Highway where they just blow it up and <laughs> blow make it a freeway. Yeah. I'm like, why did they ever do that? I try to stay as far away as possible, but we definitely have growth. Freeways on with frequent traffic lights are a problem, Mark. Uh, Heidi. You don't like that? I'm not a huge fan, no, especially when your kids get to be 16 and they want to drive out that way. I'm like, please do not go out that way. It feels dangerous to me. And if you ever drive, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, the full stretch of it. It changes how things work the whole way. And I'm like, unless you do this on a regular basis, it feels like a death trap to me. You see the evolution of transportation planning there. I thought yes. you're like, oh, what yes. are we doing now? Mm. So if you're yeah. one of the transportation planners and you're offended, my apologies, <laughs> but I really think it sucks. All right. Uh, once we got past the reason for the special session, before we went in, I should say the governor said that he didn't want to talk about CRT. The uh, legislators. Critical race theory. Uh, what did CRT. I say? CRT. CRT. Oh, yes, we should say exactly what it is. So he didn't want to talk about critical race theory or the Second Amendment sanctuary. Now, both of these things I know have been around for a long time, but literally I feel like we had to start Googling what everything meant a couple of weeks ago. It just kind of went from zero to, you know, 200 miles an hour in just a few seconds. So uh, there's so much to get to on the critical race theory. What was the special uber-duber super <laughs> session that they called themselves into, Greg? The super expialidocious session, the extraordinary session, was an opportunity for the Senate and the this House to pass resolutions uh, on issues that they were expecting or believing would be on the call but weren't. And it's the issues you talked about, the Second Amendment state sanctuary uh, language, as well as the critical race theory uh, banning it or prohibiting that curriculum from being taught to our students. Those were, were they ready, before you go on, were they ready, educated, and to make thoughtful decisions if the governor had said, let's put this on the table, or was it just too soon? No, I think they were. I, I, I watched the debates on this, and, and the reason why that's a good question to ask is they seem so pensive about it all. I hate all the hand-wringing when we're trying to take on issues that, that really, they are controversial. You're getting people with some pretty strong opinions about this. But the but the just 
the reason it was expected to be on the call and the resp- and the reaction from many of Utahns, their reactions when it was not put on the call, means that these are hot topic issues and that these lawmakers are hearing from constituents they represent that want something done. And I'll tell you, uh, Heidi and Mara, when I ran for governor in 2020, I'd been a lawmaker for 16 years. I chaired the House Public Education Standing Committee for two terms. And I, I thought I had a pretty good handle on public education policy or issues. But almost without exception, the, the, the town hall meetings I would hold, whether in you know, libraries and parks and wherever they may be, parents or grandparents would, would raise their hand and comment that the sentiments being shared by their children or grandchildren to them uh, about the history of our country or different details were contrary uh, to the America that they knew or understood, and they found it to be aggressive and even inaccurate. And so that question was asked of me all the time to the point where I would say, just so you People know, you're not really alone. People really were asking about this a couple of years ago. Uh, no, this is just last year, yep. yes. And and I'll tell you that my my as this kept coming up, I, I would point out, I want you to know this is coming up in every hearing that I'm having or every public event. And I had a principal pull me aside and after one of these events, and he said, I'll tell you how this is, this is going on. It's not a curriculum that's printed, and this is how you're supposed to do it. The way t- teachers, educators are, are compensated, it's through what they call steps and lanes, years served, and then continuing education credits. He pointed out that uh, as teachers go through higher ed and get their edu- you know, higher, uh, yeah. continuing education credits or degrees, uh, much of this uh, practice or technique of critical theory uh, is being taught to them, and it's and that colors the way they teach, or it's they're encouraged to teach in, in certain ways. And so that's how it's finding its way into our schools. I, I, you're not going to find it printed anywhere in a curriculum, but you are finding the way things are being framed right now uh, to be different. And at least that's, what I, that's the feedback I was receiving. So it didn't surprise me when lawmakers felt pretty strongly about putting this on the call because they must have been hearing what I was hearing a year ago. So Republicans passed it off to the Utah Board of Education, which is probably a good place, Mara, for them to make decisions. But did they pass it off to them because they really want them to look into it, or was it more of a threat of, like, do it or else? Well, I mean, I would point out they can't pass it off to the pur- to the institution for whom it's their purview. So the amount of arrogance and even suggesting that the legislature suggests, but if I can back up and talk about process and then go to subject, we Utahns were not served very well by our state leaders when they called an extraordinary session. Now, the special session, I thought, had a call that mattered, if if not too long. And as you recall, a couple of years ago, we citizens decided to allow the legislators to also bring themselves to the legislature. Now, remember, this is the same group of legislators that's pretty constantly complaining about um, citizens wanting to do their own ballot measures and not wanting to be, have free-for-alls on our ballot. And we had yet a legislator who convened themselves, had 21 issues they say were critical. We pride ourselves. We're one of the shortest legislative sessions in the nation at 45 yep. days. This is we true. pride ourselves in balancing the budget. We pride ourselves in being a lay legislature. And we pride ourselves with being serious-minded, small government people. That did not happen in the extraordinary session at all. One, they convened around an issue in which they were not taking an action. A resolution is not an action. They convened themselves into special session to have a, as Greg described, a hot topic discussion, which is not the point of convening 104 elected officials. And neither of these issues had any pending legislation. So we were not 
not served by the political theater. And one of the things you can look at to say was a political theater is that the news coverage up and leading to it was all about this money, this infrastructure. There's so many interesting things to talk about. It was hijacked the second we went to cable TV to decide our <laughs> legislative agenda. And we brought forth these, I agree, hot topics. But that's not why we convene our legislators. So I really um, do not think Utahns were served by the extraordinary session. Now, the special session, the fact that it has another name. And as Greg can recall, as a student and a steward of public policy, that the extraordinary sessions were really intended to call when the government was sort of stuck. That often comes with gubernatorial appointments. And so um, they really misused this. But let's talk about the topics they misused it for were two topics that are routinely in the cable news networks, and they will be bantered about forever. And there's nothing pending. There, there, whether I mean, I know we're going to talk a little bit about more about cri- critical race theory and the Second Amendment. There's nothing in pe- nothing happens but to lawmakers or legislators or the citizens of Utah if they don't go and pontificate that day for only. Um, no reason. It wasn't a governance issue. They were not trying to guide anybody. The Board of Education does not need guidance. They already have permission to have public discussions on curriculum. And if you're going to have a public discussion on curriculum, that's where it should live. It's never ending. I'm waiting. I appreciate the hand. See, your teachers teachers must have been well qualified. Mara, you have, you've stated your position well, but I just, there's some, you've blended a couple of things. The ability to call themselves into a special session in the legislature, which the people granted as a constitutional amendment. I still was surprised that passed. I'm I'm heartened by by its passage. I I think it's an important thing that 35 other states' legislative bodies have. It's a separation of powers issue. But this was not that. This extraordinary session is one that they had always had the ability to do. And to Mara's point, why it doesn't have action to it is because it wasn't even a concurrent resolution. You know, you can have a resolution that is the concurrent resolution of both the House and Senate. They, you pass it in one body, you send it to the other body, they, they, they pass it as well. They only had in this, in this narrow uh, authority the ability to have a lone House resolution and a lone Senate resolution. So you know, by, by virtue of just the inability to, and it, and it wasn't emer- an emergency situation which they've been granted the authority in the con- this constitutional amendment to call themselves into special session under uh, emergency situations this admittedly wasn't one of those situations so they didn't call themselves into a special session this is a very narrow uh, extraordinary session where they are able to pass resolutions as a as a legislative body a house or a senate so that's what they did and i think that again they would have loved to take in a more substantive stance on those issues if it was on the call uh, if those issues had been on the call, but that was the best they could do. And I think what they were trying to signal is in a very strong way, uh, and you heard this in the in the debate, to the state school board, uh, they asking them to look at this and to address the concerns that their mutual constituents that they both serve as a board and as a legislative body, uh, the concerns they have. And, um, and, and so if they don't, I think you will see uh, action in the general session. So I thought Governor Cox had a much stronger ear to the people when he suggested that we start a public conversation about these two issues and have the public conversation inform it instead of having um, a, a section of the 
lawmakers get together and talk at the people, which is what I felt like happened. I, I think Cox was right on this, mm-hmm. that, that we all want to have this discussion, but we don't need the legislators talking at us to start it. And so therefore, I agree absolutely with the Democrats walking out on this discussion because There's the pageantry it did not, right there. That's it did the, not warrant oh. um, the, it, it was beneath both Senator and legis- and oh, House please. member to start I, this conversation. Brian King was the minority leader when I was a speaker and I cannot wait to see him. I am never going to stop giving him grief that he took his toys and went home and marched out of that floor of the house. That, that floor of the house has been what we've called the arena. When you are elected by constituents and you are sent to that body, uh, every time when you support a bill, but I would say, especially when you disagree with issues or policy, your constituents are expecting you to lean in and to have that debate. And there was in the Senate, uh, Senator Luz Escamilla, a Democrat senator, passed two amendments to that resolution that were that were accepted and passed there. The House wanted their uh, their resolution to mirror the Senate uh, resolution, and yet there wasn't a Democrat on the floor that could could be that voice. So you saw a Republican House member uh, pass those resolutions, but. To say that it was that they shouldn't engage in that discussion or debate or to walk away, uh, I think that's chicken. They I think that's they did engage. That is just Greg. silly. They engaged it's, in it's, the it's, manner that the Republicans presented it in. No. I mean, this was total. It never bloviating. happened when I was there. I've this never seen anything like that. Posturing and was, bloviating. That was just. So that here's was a question I have: How much of what we're talking about is led by whether it's Fox or CNN or? Uh, meetings that come, we've talked about them before, whether it's conservatives or liberals that go and meet with other states, because it's not just Utah talking about this. Every state, all of a sudden, and I think people are like, oh, this is an issue in Utah, but is it an issue in Utah? Is it an issue across the country? Why do we see these hot-button issues bubble up? Because I think you could fairly say the same of um, wanting to defund the police. That happened in just about every legislature uh, in the last year. Now we're talking critical race theory. For people who don't understand how this works, where do they come from? Who's in charge of deciding what we talk about? I think they are starting from advocacy groups, not policy groups, right? I think they are finding their genesis in the media or the Mm -hmm. public conversation. And I think that if the media presents the idea, often then... Uh, uh, balanced because their purview, I think social media takes it on. I do think, I think defund the police and critical race theories are good examples of not coming from the institutions that are grappling. So whether that's law enforcement or education, back in the day, that's where they would percolate from. Conflict within, perhaps from parents. I think that this was seeded from the, I'm going to say press, I don't mean the actual press, but the public conversations and that's why I think sometimes they do lack you asked a great question about were we ready had we thought about it had we done the research were we ready to have this discussion my answer was we're not and in part because I do think we're responding to headlines whether they be from a constituent whether they be from social or whether they be from the media instead of maybe having this come from a policy place so I'm going to say that in the times that we're living in right now nationally maybe even globally, I, I think that there is uh, there is so much happening that is, in people's minds, extreme, or things that they weren't expecting to see or hear in terms of riots or in terms of policy. I, I think things have gotten very unstable in terms of those, you know, those events that uh, Americans and Utahns are watching. 
I don't find people apathetic. I thought that the biggest challenge to public policy and, and, and good government were, was that most people didn't care or they just had busy lives and they just kind of shrugged their shoulders and they didn't really engage. I, haven't, I don't know anyone anymore that isn't concerned to some extent, that doesn't, doesn't believe that what we're seeing has a consequence or could have uh, deeper consequences. So I don't believe that someone heard the term critical race theory on Fox News Channel and decided to parrot it to a lawmaker. I think people, from my experience, have been observing and experiencing their children uh, coming home with very different philosophies about American history and about these things. And so that's been going on under the radar and that hasn't been spoken of. But once it's, once it's been given a term and once there is a way to articulate it in a more succinct way, because there's no apathy, because people are worried what domino effects are happening in this country now, now you're seeing people become more and more engaged. And so I think that, you know, you can be in a legislature, I've lived through this and I'll admit it, you can be in a bubble in the legislature and not really see what's happening out there in the public and what's going on. Uh, I think the public were informing uh, the governor as well as the legislature that this issue about our kids, and there's no more emotional issue than public education. Mama bear and papa bear's cubs, that's that's probably the most important public policy issue. That's where it's coming from. And so I, I think that was a that was the response, and I think the Democrats in the House owed it to their constituents and the process, by the way, to stay on the, in that chamber and have that debate. So I'm having a very different experience in my 25 years of public policy than Greg is because there is no way in this world that... You really got to get out more. I do. That no way in this world that a speci special session organically had multiple calls into individual legislators, and that just happened because, you know, after school, Heidi and I were talking about critical race theory because we have not put those words together. Uh, yeah, you, no, Greg I, no, Hughes, I know. You, has not put you those can, three words together you can, you can until say that, Trump I'm told him about you, it. No, I'm telling no, you I, I'm it's telling happening you that way. I promise you. I can tell you as someone who is hired to engage with this audience. So I'm going to be the insider here and say, there's no way when legislators said, yeah, I had 14 calls on this on a special session. And you go out and you pull Utahns and you pulled them a week before and said, when's the next special session? If you do tell me that most Utahns not only knew there was a special session, but in fact, they were anticipating it. And in fact, what they thought they would do is talk to the legislators about what's on the call. And you don't think that that's inside baseball. You're insane. I do, here's where I see it, yeah. it coming from. I think they probably did get calls. Is it United Utah? Is that their name? They, they kind totally of, got calls, but it was but organized. Them, yes, it was and organized. That doesn't efforts. invalidate it. Yes. I'm not suggesting that's not invalid, but Greg's whole, this is what he talks about with his neighbors across the fence, is this is organized. Now again, I'm not invalidating the organizing, yeah. but it is not to say it's representational. Let me explain. I my, was surprised yeah. that it showed up at all of we we watched the, the school district meetings pretty closely, especially since the right. COVID and all the changes. And I don't know that it's organically popping up in each of these meetings. I don't know if it's United Utah kind of showing up to these different meetings, but over the last month, I've seen that coming up and masks um, there. So obviously it was bubbling up. I don't know I, I would, um, yeah, when it became their issue. But I would it compare it to like Common Core. It I think Common Core, the governor was behind the curve on the concerns of Common Core. Uh, lawmakers were not uh, understanding how frustrated parents were uh, with this new curriculum, comic, this is years ago, yeah. uh, that were really separating parents from their kids and help those parents that c were in a position to help their children with their homework uh, were, were in math and science were not, be able, uh, not unable to do it. And I don't think lawmakers were really sensing that as much and were behind the curve, frankly. And so 
you saw the lot, the legislature catch up with that. I, I think this issue is the same. I think that it would take organization to say, Hey, you know, the things we've been frustrated about and the things that our kids come home and talk about that we can't believe they're we're hearing. This is what it is. And this is what's growing. And then you see the the national narrative that matches that. So I, I yeah, there, there is organization. There's an organizing voice, but if, but it resonates. It resonates because it's what people's experience is. It matches that. It so. resonates with some, but let's not pretend that this is across the board. This doesn't exist as as a platform. Like, let's not forget. I'm not suggesting that there aren't people who are concerned. But let's deal with the facts that this does not exist in Utah's curriculum. This is not formalized in Utah's curriculum. And the suggestion that somehow Utah, the, the teachers in Utah are somehow so out of line with the majority of Utahns in terms of like what this requires you to believe is that there's a vast left-wing conspiracy I said within, it's, it's, within the educational it's forces and going teachers, to get continuing education teachers and it's, reflect it's, it's this the way. communities in it's which subtle. they live. It's subtle. Communities we haven't even talked about critical race theory yet. I don't. We've talked about the process on how on the and critical on the race theory. You know what? Session. Every time you Google it to find a definition, I find a different definition. I'll so give this you is a the definition. first one that comes up. If you want to go to Wikipedia right now, it says it's an academic movement of civil rights scholars and activists in the U.S. who seek to critically examine the law as it intersects with issues of race, and um, I think. That's probably a good boiling down point, but it depends on who you talk to. I listened to a meeting with the GOP earlier this week. I've listened to um, teachers. I've listened to all kinds of people describe what critical race theory is, and I think everyone has a different definition. But how do you rate it? It's not, a sing- it's not a singular thing, so I don't think it's helpful when people individually assert. I think what you should evaluate, which is why I think that the legislature just ready, fired, aimed, is because if you want to grapple with what you do and don't want taught in Utah schools— you can't say critical race theory. You need to have a curriculum that you feel comfortable or not. And so this theoretical discussion is one that's just rooted in fear-mongery and, and frankly, I think bias and racism. Because if you go back to the origins, the origins were to inform the legal community, right? This was very focused on legal community. So Greg... I think if you want to refute whether we should teach critical race theory or not, then I need a piece and policy. I yeah. need a piece of legislation or a policy that the Department of Education has enacted in the state of Utah, and that's the significant discussion. Our our, our viewpoints on how how and what American history should be taught isn't relevant until you have a piece of policy adjoined to it. So, What's your definition? So. The reason why you hear Marxism uh, related to critical race theory is because critical theory is a Marxist philosophy. And I'm going to read it to you and see if it sounds familiar to critical race theory. Critical theory is a Marxist approach to social philosophy that focuses on reflective assessment and critique of social and culture, uh, culture in order to reveal and challenge power structures. It argues that social problems are influenced and created more by societal structures and cultural assumptions than by individual and psychological factors. That, what critical race, th- this Marxism philosophy might not be gaining ground, but when you when you shoehorn the word race in between critical and theory, everything I just described is how they would like to describe history. Who's the they? Race, the, Tell me who the they is in your The sentence. higher ed, the, the people that are Those looking people. to. No, so no, no. that the, monolith the, that the, the is 16, higher ed. The project, whatever that's called. There's, there, are, there are absolutely They're not active in Utah. They have presented listen, no legislation in Utah. They, in your high, when, when people go through schools to learn how to teach and how to educate, 
there is this philosophy have I, that I've just so the laid University out here of Utah teaches that says critical race theory that racism colored and maybe bad word influenced <laughs> the sorry for the bad pun has influenced every decision this country has ever made. You see people say, well, the 4th of July is reasonable to understand that the 4th of July is the Independence Day for white people. But for black people, they were not free on Independence Day. If we go down that road, Mara, I'm going to tell you, if you divide people and, and, and try to even with a straight face explain that the July 4th is not everybody. I'm is loving, not Independence Day I'm for everyone. I'm loving the fear mongering. What a disaster. I'm loving a, the fear mongering. But there is, critical race theory taught when you actually institutionalize it, which is different from when you Google it. It's a process. Race. It's like, not It's, it's different not, from the cable TV discussion. It's not the subject matter of the history. It's I, the way I'm you teach and frame history. It is a matter of whether you think. It's meant to divide people. It's a matter of whether you think that systemic racism, racism built into systems, is a valid conversation or not. But when you extract it to polarize, that's on you. That's not what critical race if theory you does. Wanted to take that's it like, on you, Greg. If you that's wanted your to take decision. critical race theory and take it as a topic in your curriculum like, like critical theory is, as a Marxist philosophy, and have that discussion, let's have at it. But if it's going to be the way you share with students their history or American history, Therein lies the so problem. So I think this podcast should be considered, you know, cutting edge. And so I would just say that one of the things I like about this, Greg, is that we're actually having a discussion about terms and um, and and specifics, right? Yes. That would differentiate us from what the legislature did this week, no, in I, which they what? decided they to just platform. We are the leaders. I, w- I would actually. I think our community has to have this conversation, but I am still going to dismiss the legislature that thinks that they should pontificate about it. And I say, I do think, as Heidi suggested, that it's percolating enough that there's no way our departments of education, in some way, shape, or form, higher ed being slightly different than public yeah. ed, needs to have this conversation. But I will say, there is no universal definition. So what we should be talking yes, about is, is what Utah decides. It's critical theory. The, I have the, it right here. I'll, send, I'll, I'll text this Greg to you. Has this it, is the definition. Greg right has here. it on, on the internet, so it I must be it. true. I'm text this to both of I you right I do think now. where you get to the heart of it when you <laughs> listen to people talk we... is whether you believe there is systemic racism right. or not, which I guess is a conversation. Whether it's in – this is the interesting part – is the Utah School Board, and whether you look through what they teach, it's not in – curriculum here but if you talk to your kids I think we all have older kids you know they come home whether you're in honors or AP classes or regular ones and I think they're taking what's in the news they talk about it their teachers talk about kind of a current events and I think that it may these conversations may come up because of what's going on and I noticed that not specifically this topic but other topics when things are kind of hot button issues my kids come home talking about them and you might get the the idea of whatever it is colored by the teacher who's talking about it, because we all live in our own bubbles where we understand and law see enforcement. This, you know, for the last eighteen months, a law enforcement's discussion has largely been around where race exists. Right? Does it exist at the individual level? Does it exist with the individual officer? Does it does it, does it exist with with the systems? So I do think our current events are reflecting this overall topic. Yeah, and. And what is the shared history of the United States, I think, is also, interestingly enough, has been revitalized as a topic. Look, I'll just say this. I agree with Mara on the, on in that the way this was presented by in the legislature, both House and Senate, as resolutions, almost sounded apologetic in tone. There was a lot of hand-wringing as they, they admitted they don't have a definition. I gave you a definition because that's what they're doing, okay? And I'm happy, and I would, if I was on that floor, I would define it just as it is. 
I think if you don't understand your history, you're doomed to re repeat it. And I have no problem talking about the uncomfortable parts of, of American history so that we understand it and we don't repeat it. There are stories that I don't hear that I would love to sh see shared with students about our American history that are incredibly important so that we don't repeat it. You go to China, there is no semblance, no trace of Tiananmen Square. You can't find it. It doesn't exist Which in China. Which is crazy. Yeah. And it is. So I'm not rejecting the idea that we don't talk about these issues of racism that have been part of our American history. What I reject is that we are going to, to now define people by you are inherently marginalized because of your color. So great. You as, as white, because you as white, and you enjoyed a society and a world by way of birth and skin color that others didn't, that are of color didn't. We cannot get into that. If we do that, we are going to turn ourselves against each other. And this nation is one of a melting pot. And if you don't melt, <laughs> I don't know how this country so Greg, stays as united. someone who does believe that we should do a better job teaching systemic racism. So if I just put my marker down as not an absolutist on this, I don't want to tie that into too big of a bow, but I will tell you, it is my belief that this needs to be further taught. So we're on little different pages there. But what I will tell you is a bridge too far for me is that you suggesting my point of view there leads to this because you and I agree on identity politics and isolation. So conflating those would be something I would ask I, I think, the conversation. I, I, genu I genuinely think that like the governor suggested yesterday that it should, could be taught in colleges, but maybe not K through twelve. I, I, this is, is where I, the, the debate should have been better. I think if you are framing your curriculum around this philosophy, that is, and that you are you do not know that you are hearing a philosophical approach. If you want to, if you want in, in, in higher ed or whatever you want to do, discuss this as a philosophical approach. At, and contrast it with other approaches of how we learn history or how we apply history, fair enough. What this is talking about is it's not teaching it as its own philosophy. It is, it is a philosophy being applied to the way we teach other uh, subject matter. I'm and that is what the big worry and concern is. And I think that, again, it's my opinion. We all have them. We're all entitled to them, right? My opinion is the more we, we talk about race or suggest that we are because of the sins of the past, it is it has made us different, and we are different from one another. It will not have the effect of uniting us and having us colorblind and not noticing the difference if that's all we talk about or we frame history in the in that content in that lens alone. I'm going to point out once again that if Utahns are looking for an elected official to follow on parameters of this discussion, it's Governor Cox. Governor Cox, more than the legislators, did this this week, talked about that. Hey, we got to have this conversation. He acknowledged it. He said it's different in higher ed in his mind than K through 12. But he challenged those institutions to start having those conversations in the specific, not in the general. Yeah. Because the conversation we're having, I think we want to have, and because that's our role in in public policy. But for, the, for most of us, we... It doesn't help to just be theoretical. If, 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 if we're going to talk about how Utah wants to do things, then we should do what Governor Cox has asked us to do, which is slow down and let these institutions come up with some directives that we can discuss in the specific. And I think one important thing that may come from all of this discussion is parents knowing what their kids are taught, uh, being present in their kids' schools, uh, maybe showing up to the district meetings, discussing some of the things, and having real conversations, because I think sometimes there's a disconnect between what is taught in the classroom and maybe what is on the agenda of what they're supposed to teach and how it all works out. I have this strange um, example here of this. So my son 
great kid, straight A student, honors classes, uh, never had a problem with him in school. And I got a call from the, I think it was a school counselor at the first of the school year. And they wanted to talk to his parents. They were very concerned. They were going to pull him out. They were worried that he was planning some kind of attack on the school. And I was like, whoa, 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 what is happening? And I started freaking out because I'm like, do I not know my son? And he had been searching things online about axe murders and attacks. And we were like, what the heck? And then I stepped back for a second. I'm like, okay, I just went to the library. I picked him up some books. And the school had this suggested list of books um, for the honors and AP classes that they were supposed to read over the summertime, do projects. And when they came back, they had this whole um, get up in front of the class and show your slideshow or whatever. And he'd been researching the Borden murders. I don't know if you've oh, heard of those. <laughs> yeah. But they had a list. I don't know what that is. It's uh, Lizzie Borden. Is that right. her name? Yeah. I think she yeah. axe murdered up had her whole family axe, or something. Gave her family 50 hacks or oh, something. Oh, that's a, it was, that's a yeah. rhyme. It was right? it's super, super violent. And the funny thing is, there's nothing funny about this, but there was a list that was sent out of hey, you know, these are some books you might want to consider. If you don't want to go to the library and figure out what fits within the parameters, here's a list um, that you can look at. And so we looked at the list, and I felt, even as a ninth grader, some of the books I was like, questionable, questionable, questionable. And somehow we ended up at the Borden murders as being the least questionable <laughs> that he should read. And when we told the school this, it was on a recommended list. They're like, no way. It, so I sent them the email from the teacher, and here it is. And it was a national. It was a list that somebody probably came up nationally for kids that were ninth through twelfth grade. And these are good books to read that are nonfiction, that are page turners and great. It doesn't like, have Pepe Le Pew in it because yeah. heaven forbid. Um, you know? <laughs> so I think that they didn't know that they were encouraging kids to read these books, and they're like, whoa, buddy, this is what we're doing. And I'm like, that okay. poor, yeah, poor kid. I know. I, you so, know, the worst. I know. So we unwound so it all and figured it out. But I'm Domino wondering of how Give many things like this happen in yeah. our classroom. Like whether it's um, whether you believe CRT is right or bad or LGBT. Bad. But we I'm going to riff, off this, I'm gonna riff off this point and have a parent empowered <laughs> moment because we have a long history in the great state of Utah of wanting to control curriculum because it will somehow corrupt our little kids and we can't teach consent and we can't teach sex and we can't teach a lot of things. But I want to do a pepper, a, a parent empowered moment, and at least from the PSAs I read, you do have more influence over your kids than other people do. It is so, true. So, I mean, we 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 need to pay attention to curriculum. This is not me wholesaling, not, but I do think some of these where I view fear mongering is when you churn up something and I look at you and say, do you not have a relationship with your kid? Cause it, uh, if you don't want your kid to understand just one side, or if you feel strongly about a value, you've got some, you know, uninterrupted time with them to parlay and relay that. And so I just, I do think parents have undue influence and can balance these ideas out. And I do think sometimes the role of education and, and critical thinking is to challenge those roles. And parents still have an undue amount of influence. Well, let me give you this lens. I mean, that is true. But um, there's a lot of, I mean, one of the biggest challenges in public education are, are parents that are not involved. There are a lot of kids that are going to school hungry. There's a lot of kids that are going to school in the wintertime, not dressed appropriately for winter weather. There's a lot of kids that don't have parents that sit with them at the kitchen table to do the homework with them. Uh, that is a major challenge in our public education system. So the, double, so the insult to injury is that when you do have, and you're fortunate enough to have parents that are highly involved, it can be received with resentment. Uh, the education system can resent the fact that the parent is a, a very involved parent. Um, it can it, it can be you know seen as a, trying to interrupt what the what they're trying to do. So I it's it's it, edu public education is a very complicated issue and it has a, a bunch of moving parts to it. But 
I'm going to tell you, if you've got parents and they're upset about what's happening with their children, I would not discard that sentiment and I would not dismiss it or demean it as not important because I think it's one of the more emotional ones that, uh, that Utah's engage in. And while you're figuring this out, I do like talking to your kids because that's what I always like. When I worry about that they're not teaching the right sex ed at school or they're not whatever, that's where I'm as a parent. You know, luckily yeah, I, I do I've talk to my I've heard your conversation. You don't have any problem in that category. <laughs> no. We don't have to go there. I'm <laughs> well, just, call, the I'm issue just is, saying that now. Just talk to your kids and not every parent is going to be out there. So I think this is a conversation we should have. Um, I, it would seems a little, I'm not, to me. you're not going to talk critical race with your kids. No, I'll, I'll talk crit- sex ed. I don't okay. want to Greg's lean and Aviana's wife here. Mrs. Hughes can work on that one. I just, I get it. I all right. Get we got to talk about all the important things with our kids and I take it on me. I checked out a murder book <laughs> about ax murders <laughs> for my kid and I made that choice. So I'd like to apologize to all the educators who had to hear that? I um, don't yeah. want to make lo- light of violence in schools, but it does beg the wow. He was going to go at it with an axe approach. I know, right? That's, that's different. Yeah, that's a different approach. <laughs> I know. I was sweating bullets when we got that call, though. So, whew, glad yeah. we made it past that. So, we had other topics, but we just cannot get to them because we were so excited. This about one's a big one, you know. Theory. This one, yeah. You know, there were so many aspects to it because you had the process that that, that we've just described. You've had I when I was in the legislature, I I never saw a moment where all the Members of the minority party walked off the floor and, and did not even engage in the. That's how shocking. I've not seen it. I've not watched it. I thought it was. And I thought that was heart. the pageantry. Take to heart but, how shocking but, it was. Um, but I, what I'll say is, so there's a lot of there's a lot of parts of what that this topic is. So it just I think there, it was worthy of our time to okay. unpack. I have a feeling we're going to be talking about this again. I it's feel not like going it's to be over up. with. It's coming up in the actual legislature. So everyone, go do their googling, reading up <laughs> on it. Talk to your kids, see if they've actually been taught it in school, um, and see what they have to say. Yeah, if It'll they be say that if they if they tell you that all the founding fathers were just a bunch of racists, and then you know that that critical race theory is being taught. And in if that you school. need any fear mongering, or if you need Greg's. Uh, it's a very specific definition. He's happy to. I have it to you. I just forwarded to both Heidi and Mara while we did in real time during this podcast. And I'll tell you this: I also believe because I have an opinion. Is this about black helicopters and infrared detectors? That that uh, the critical race theory is anathema to the musical Hamilton. I think that (laughs) the musical Hamilton was meant to take the diverse population of young people and all people in our nation and connect them directly. To the story of Alexander Hamilton. It is not meant to say the, those Hamilton. founding those founding fathers. That's not your history. That's not you. That what they didn't help you at the time where you needed your help. That is that it is the opposite of that. Hamilton so the musical was meant to pull us together and to see these things in in an with a view that it's it belongs to all these these moments in history belong to all of us. Critical race theory would would look to separate that and say that's not your history because you are a person of color. If he likes critical race theory, then will you buy it? Is that is that what you're saying? Because I do believe art speaks to everybody. I'm telling you how I interpret it. Is a canon. I love that musical so much. But art art is art speaks to the individual. So it's how I've interpreted (laughs) uh, Hamilton the musical. It's how it's why I worked hard to get. Get the br- Bring the play it back here because I didn't get to see it. I've only had to here. watch it on TV. And uh, if you would like to watch more TV, you haven't had enough politics this week with the podcast. We have posted the full interview with uh, the senators as they sit down. 42 minutes of riveting listening if you want to hear what they have Senator to say. Senator Mike Lee, Senator Mitt Romney in one room. This the is actually, this is must-see TV. Hatch. With Heidi Hatch stuff. asking the questions. I'm telling you. You guys should be my agents. This is This is must-see TV. This, <laughs> I can tell you from the inside baseball political world, yeah, Putting those two in the same room, <laughs> especially in front of a reporter, I 
when you told me this idea, I gave it 0% you chance d- you of really happening. You really didn't? I really didn't think it would happen. I thought they... I think I thought they wouldn't be bold they enough to they tell spend you no. A lot of time but together. they would find they some borrow sugar and flour. <laughs> I know. I thought together. there'd be. I they thought some together. excuse would come up. Someone got a flat tire. Some something happened. I didn't think you could pull it off. You did it. You went out there. You made it happen. That's it's really impressive. All right, we've got more issues to talk about. We'll be back next Friday because we can't stop talking. <laughs> tell your friends about us. Review us, but only if you like. I us. swallowed my gum during you did? this podcast. That's I did. fine. It doesn't stay in your stomach <laughs> for fifty years. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs>